Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. for us. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Good morning. So we are in our Advent series. Uh, Last week we talked about the threat of hope, and this week we're talking about the promise of peace. Uh, um, the, The cool thing about Advent, if you don't know this, is it means the the coming of the Lord, right? It's this the season of Jesus coming. And so we, we talk about Advent season because we're celebrating the time when Jesus was born, like that God came into heaven, came into humanity, right? The, this coming of the Savior. But that's not the only Advent that we celebrate as Christians because there's going to be a second Advent. There's going to be a time at the end of the age when Jesus comes back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and everything is going to be made right. We kind of talk about this later, but there's there's talks about how kids are going to play next to the the snake's nest, right? Like I'm not going to go out and sit Adelie down beside a cobra, but there's in the end time, there's such peace when Jesus is ruling everything that that's something that could happen. And so as we we talk about peace today, we're going to look at the story of of Jesus being born and peace coming in and to the world, but there's this, this sense of already, but not yet, right? We already have this peace, but when we look around us, this the world is in turmoil. 
There's wars. There's arguments inside the family. There's arguments in the streets. There's arguments over Popeye's chicken sandwiches, right? Like, <laughs> like it's obvious that, that peace is possible, but peace isn't always happening, right? And so what I kind of want to look at today is that there's this promise of peace that is there for us as followers and believers in Jesus. But what's interesting is it is not always. Uh, Even this morning, you know, sometimes the Lord puts you through the ringer a little bit. And today I'm preaching on peace. And as we're getting ready for church, we have one key to the building. And that key is on my keychain, and I drive the Pontiac. Well, we had a wedding this week and we had to carpool, so I had to pick Lauren up from her school in order to make it to the rehearsal dinner late, <laughs> right? And so I, so the, the Pontiac is at Lauren's school and so are the keys. They were left in the desk drawer. So we got to church and had no way of getting into the building and I am filled with stress and anxiety and all these things. And the Lord said, remember, you're talking about peace today. And I'm like, why'd you do this to me? <laughs> right? But there's this sense of that, that even in this life that we have now, there are times where peace isn't reigning, right? Peace isn't ruling our lives. And so what I want to look at is in those times of anxiety, in those times of trouble, we can look at, at peace and where it comes from and, and who it went to in, the early, in, the, in our story today and, and how it can rule our hearts. And we can have peace even in the valley, even in the storm, even when things aren't perfect. So the first thing I want to look at is that where the peace went in our story, right? We, we know that later on it says that glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. But at the beginning of this passage, we see that the angels, the ones singing God's glory, the messengers from the Lord, they don't go to the priest. They don't go to the persons who had the greatest quiet time that morning. They don't go to the moral elite. They go to the shepherds. And we've talked about this before, but shepherds were not high class, right? They were farmers. They were poor. They were often men sitting around a campfire. If you've ever been a part of a sports team and in a locker room, that's probably what the conversations looked like. They weren't the moral elite, but that's who the angels appeared to. That's who the peace first appeared to. And it, what's interesting is, is I have a friend, his name is Josh Leroy, and he wrote a book called The Great Reversal. And, and he talks about how when Jesus came and he entered the world, the, the, the world structure was kind of like this big pyramid, right? And you had all the lowly people, and then you had the, the middle class, and it kind of worked its way up. And then you had like the kings, and they were at the top. And the, the person that ruled the top was the one with the most power, with the most swagger, with the most money. That was the person at the top. But when we look at Jesus's kingdom, it's more like a peace sign where the, the, the power is at the bottom. It's the meek, it's the mild, it's the humility. And that's what Jesus coming to the world, that's what it is. It's this great reversal. Tim Keller calls it kingdom economics where, where the lowly are the ones that are, are lifted up. Meekness and humility is greater than power. Humility is greater than swagger. And Jesus make, paints this picture perfectly. It was He enters into the world. He doesn't go to the people that are, are in the temple. He doesn't go to the people who are the, the cleanest. In fact, people often look down at shepherds. Shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in the court of law. 
right? They were considered to be liars and thieves, and you couldn't trust their word. They, were, they didn't follow any of the cleanliness laws of the time, so where you would have to go to the temple and make sacrifices and become clean. Shepherds were out tending to their flock. They couldn't leave their flock. So due to, to their job, where they're at, where they're located, they didn't have access to go and participate in all these cleaning rituals. So they were considered unclean, dirty people, far from God, not living in the temple. And when God shows up, when God comes to the picture, he says, you know what? I'm not going to those who seem like they have everything together, but I'm going to those who need me most. This is, this is a picture of Jesus' ministry as it goes on. You can, uh, in Mark 2.15, we see that, that Jesus ate with sinners. It's a pattern of Jesus Christ's ministry throughout his whole life. Everywhere he went, he hung out with those who seemed dirty, unclean, and sinful. When he had dinner with Zacchaeus, this was scandalous. In fact, it was often used by those who opposed him to prove that he wasn't the Messiah. If Jesus was the Messiah, if he was the chosen one, if he was the one coming to save us, he would be high and mighty and perfect and not hanging out with people like Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus entering the picture brings peace to those who need it most, those who realize that they're broken, not to the morally upright. It's kingdom economics. It's the great reversal. So what that means, what that means is that, that God coming into the world, God's, God coming into the world doesn't mean a whole new list of rules, but it means his friendship, right? I had a, a friend in, when I was in college, I was working at Starbucks and I very outspoken about being gay and he hated Christians and he hated God. And then he found out that I was a pastor (laughs) and going to school to be a pastor. But we had already built a relationship before he knew that about me. And so, man, when he found that out, he just obliterated me with questions, like question after question, all these things. And so one day I'm like, dude, and I was in charge, right? I was the shift supervisor. So I gave him his lunch break at the same time I got mine, right? And we sat down and we ate lunch together there. And he's just, he just kind of lays it all out on the table. And he starts talking about how his brother is actually in seminary. His family are all Christians. And when they found out that he was gay, they, they, they kind of, they didn't, you know, outcast him, but they began to treat him differently. They didn't really treat him like a son anymore. He came to all the events. They said they loved him, but he saw a noticeable change in the way his family treated him when they found out he was gay. And he had this mindset that God hated him and therefore he hated God. And, I, and what I have found out is that so often in conversations with non-believers, they have this animosity towards God because that's what, how they think God views them. But the truth is, God views with love first. If you're a non-believer, he's not hiding in the manger, waiting for you to come in and accept him, where then he's going to hit you with commandments 11 through 20, right? He is there wanting friendship, wanting love, wanting, the, the holiness is important, and that comes, but that comes as Jesus transforms our heart. It's about that relationship and that friendship first. So what that means is if you're a non-believer, God is leading with friendship. He wants relationship with you. 
And if you are a believer, that's how we should approach non-Christians. We don't approach them with fear. We don't approach them trying to fix them. Listen, a non-believer is not a pet and they're not a project. We need to reach out and be friends with them. And when we build relationships with them, we show them the power and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what peace is. Peace went to those who they didn't expect would receive it. Jesus came to those who were not the moral elite. We have to lead with love. That's what Jesus did. So where did peace, where did peace go? It went to the shepherds. It went to those who needed it most, not those who seemed to have it all together. It went to the broken, to the ones needing a savior. And where did it come from? It's really interesting. When you're reading this passage, it says that the angels came down from God, right? And when they came down from God, they gave glory to God, right? Glory went to God. This peace, this peace that comes, it, it, it comes from God, right? And what's interesting is, and this is kind of a side note, but, but a lot of us have this mentality, and, and I say this with love, not, not meanness, because this is kind of what we've been taught as uh, growing up in the South, but we feel like when we pass away, we get our wings and we become angels, right? But the truth is, angels and humans are different. If you go and you look at scripture, you can read in Hebrews where angels actually want to be humans, right? Because we are children of God when we become believers, right? And so angels are messengers. So they're sent from God. You gotta think the angels are created separate. They're in heaven. They're sent from God. And so this angel's up there with God and this is conjecture, right? So this isn't gonna be in the Bible. This is just kind of what pops out to me when I'm reading it. So God's like, hey, you know, it's time. It's time. We've been talking about this through history. You've been able to see people waiting on the coming Messiah. It's time for the Messiah to enter the world. And I need you to go tell them about it. And so the angel's like, okay, who do you want me to go tell? The shepherds. What? <laughs> the, the shepherds? Are you sure? Like the lowly shepherds? You want? Yes, go tell the shepherds. And they go there and the, the angel shows up and he says, glory to God. Glory to God. It comes from God first. We have to understand that when God shows up and the peace enters our world, it's this, this sense of glory. When the Bible talks about glory, it's like a glory that makes everything else less glorious, right? Not that things are bad, but this is just so magnificent that it makes magnificent things seem less, which is, which is kind of crazy to, like, to illustrate it. I'm a big fan of beef jerky, right? Like I love beef jerky. But if I'm sitting there and it's dinner time and you say, hey, you can have some beef jerky or you can have the medium rare filet mignon, okay, I'm taking the filet mignon. It's not that, that beef jerky is bad. Like I'm a fan of the beef jerky, but filet mignon makes it look so much less appetizing. Am I right? And that's this, this, this idea that just illustrates that, that God is so much greater, so much glorious, more glorious, that, that all other glorious things seem lesser in his presence. The peace of God is when we know that he is better than anything that we've been, been pursuing. He's better than that, better than the job, better than the perfect family, better than the perfect relationship, better than the, the whatever the dream is. God is so glorious he makes it look like a shadow. And when we have it, we reach a place in our life where we realize that that's our goal. That's who God is. That he came to give us that peace. That that's what we need to achieve it. It's interesting. I think about it in, in light of uh, uh, marriage since we, we just had a, a wedding this, this uh, past weekend. And, and I was kind of thinking about it in light of that and 
And I have some friends that were in South Carolina, they were older than us, and they were, they have and had a great marriage. Like their marriage by all sense was, was awesome. They're a little bit older, they're a little flirty, which is kind of gross at times, but you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, I kind of get it, you know. But, but they had a really great marriage. They were open with each other. They, they had raised great kids and everything about them was like, okay, they, they've got a lot of great qualities, but they weren't believers, right? They weren't believers. And so there's this sense that even as a non-believer, even when Jesus isn't the most glorious thing in your life, when he's not the number one, you can have a good marriage, but you can't have the best. I think about it on a scale of one to 10, right? Without God in your marriage, you might be able to reach a, a six or a seven, but you'll never have the 10. There's always gonna be a ceiling if God is not the goal, if God is not the most glorious thing in your life. We want peace between each other. We want peace in our relationships. We want peace in our work life. We want peace in everything we're doing. We want to get rid of that anxiety, but you will never have complete peace if God is not the number one, if your life is not bringing him the most glory. Peace came to the shepherds. It came from God And then what we have to realize is that if we are going to live a life that is full of peace, it has to rule our hearts. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. We look at at the verse 15 of the passage we read today. The the shepherds are met with the angels and they sing of this, the the glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom favors rest, his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go go and see what these guys are talking about right? Like we've had this encounter. We've seen the glory of the Lord. We've heard them sing his name. And now we weren't planning on going to Bethlehem. We were planning on taking our flock this way or doing that, but they completely changed their plans. They abandoned what they were doing to go see about this God guy. It went from hearing about him to now ruling and making their decisions. It ruled their heart. And if we're going to have peace in our life, we have to understand that God has to rule our heart. When I think about the number one thing that robs us of peace, the number one thing that creates anxiety, anxiety in my life, it's times, it's times when I, I want to become my own God. And I don't say that. I don't say, hey, God, take a back seat. I got this. But what happens is something happens, and, and instead of praying about it and seeking God's guidance, I try to handle the situation on my own. You see this a lot when you try to, um, you guys might be able to relate to this, fix somebody. Anybody ever been there? A coworker, a boss, kids, spouse. <clears throat> right? We get to this place where, where you try to fix somebody, but the truth is we make terrible gods. We make terrible gods. Just before even thinking about somebody else, think about yourself. Like, and when I say this, I don't want you to hear me saying that nobody's ever done anything bad to you, all right? You may have had the most horrible thing possible happen to you. But what I want to say is that the person that has lied to you the most, the person that has broken their promise to you the most, the person who has not held up their end of the deal the most in your life is you. 
we tell ourselves things all the time. I'm gonna be better at this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna pursue this. I'm gonna, and we don't hold up our end. We, we try to do so much for our own selves and still fall short. So, so why do we think that we're gonna rule ourselves? Why do we wanna make ourselves God? And then we see somebody else, a coworker, or it's the holiday season. You're gonna be around those family members that disagree with you politically and socially and all those other things. And you just wanna have a conversation. You wanna make a little remark to try to guide them, to try to change them. But you can't change anybody. And we get stuck in this place where we wanna change them so much. We wanna control them. We wanna make decisions for them. And we can't. We can't because we don't have that power and we're filled with anxiety and we're filled with, with stress because there's all this stuff going on around us that we can't control and we just want to control it. Am I the only one that gets to this place, especially on the holiday season where I've got a list of stuff I want to get done, a list of presents I want to buy, a list of events we got going on, a list of people we're going to be around. There's, there's all these things that we want to control And when things get out of control, anxiety comes in and we lose all peace because at that moment where we're trying to control everything, we remove God from ruling that throne and we step into it ourselves. That's what robs us of peace. We have to get to a place where we let God rule our hearts. We let peace rule our hearts. We have to get to a place where we stop trying to fix everything and learn to pray. God is sovereign. God is in control. Only he has the power to change people. This is something that that they taught us in school as, as pastors, because as pastors, you try to do everything you can to lead your congregation. You try to do everything you can to shepherd them. And I can get up here and I can preach the best sermon you've ever heard and you'll be so motivated and you'll, be, you'll feel the love of God and you'll get out to your car and somebody will cut you off and you might say a couple of bad words and all you remember is some story that was told, right? I have no power to change you. I can preach my heart out, but I have no power over the actions that you take. This is, I was reading a book on, on raising pastor's kids, right? And they, they, pastor kids notoriously turn out crazy. <laughs> and they turn out crazy because of all these unrealistic expectations that's put on them. And it's put on them because they're supposed to be perfect because they're the pastor's kid, right? Luckily, you guys don't do that, Daddy Lee. You let her scream and worship and you're just fine with it. <laughs> but there's this sense, there's this sense of, of people putting expectations on other people because they want them to behave or act a certain way. And when we don't get that expectations, when we don't get that control, anxiety sits in. When we look at the world around us, I was talking about this earlier, the only time that peace is achieved is when Jesus is ruling. There's this promise of peace that, that we see play out in the book of Revelations. We see that Revelation, we see that this promise of a new earth and a new heaven where people are getting along, refugees find homes, lions are grazing in the field instead of attacking. There's this, this sense of peace everywhere. And that peace everywhere is never achieved until Jesus is ruling, until Jesus is on the throne. We could pray for world peace. We pray for the end of wars. We pray for these things. But ultimately, that turmoil doesn't end until Jesus is king, until Jesus is ruling. And that promise of peace is for our world. It's for our country. It's for our city. But it's also for you. And it is already, but not yet, because you can have that promise of peace in your life now. But it only happens when Jesus is ruling your heart. Listen, we're human. 
We're human, and so there's going to be times when we fall short. I believe in the power of the cross. I believe that Jesus died for our sins. He gives us the ability to not sin. He changes our nature, right? And there's this sense of we have this chance of walking in him and walking in peace. But the sinless life, the sinless life doesn't happen until we're in glorification with God, right? There's going to be times when you fall short. We live in a fallen world. There's going to be times when people sin against you. So there's going to be times where you're going to be anxious. There's going to be times when peace, when stress sets in. And I'm not saying that you need to feel guilty when you feel stressed, okay? It happens to all of us. What I'm saying is in those moments of stress, in those moments of anxiety, when it seems like peace is being robbed from you, let's take a step back. Let's look at the situation. Let's see if it's something that we have any control over at all. And let's pray Let's seek God. Let's let him rule our life. Let's let him be our king. Because 90% of the time, when I've looked back at places in my life where we're like, I was losing my mind because I was so anxious and stressful. There were things I could have changed. I could have strategized a little bit better. I could have had a little bit better time management. I could have done this better or that better. And I look back and you know what? I can't change the past but I can say that Jesus is ruling my life. And as I approach future situations, I can have peace because I know I'm gonna do it this way or I'm gonna do it that way. And there's other times where I look back and it has caused me stress and anxiety and it was nothing that I could even control. I couldn't control the way a boss reacted. I can't control the way a spouse reacts. I can't control the way somebody else behaves. I don't have power over them. So when I realize it's something that I don't have control over, it's time to take a step back Pray and rest and rest. That's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is peace and rest. There's times where we have to realize it's out of our control. And that's that's all I have for us today. There's this promise of peace that, that goes to those who need it most. We don't have to put on a mask and pretend like we're sp- more spiritual than we are, that we're more moral than we are. We have to be real and honest before God because peace went to the shepherds and it's there for us. And it comes from God. We have to realize that it doesn't come from anything that we can achieve on our own. It comes from a life dedicated and focused on God. And we have to let him rule our hearts or peace won't reign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that whatever's in our life that needs to be sifted out of us, that you're refining us and you're changing us. And as we go through difficult seasons or we go through stressful times, Lord, that we can know that, that you are still on the throne, that you are reigning and you are in control. We ask for a peace that is beyond understanding. When times are hard, when times are are anxious or stressful or or bad or because we're grieving or whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that in that moment, we'll know your comfort and your peace. The promise of your peace can change the way we, we live our life. It can change the way we interact with people. It can change the way we talk and sing and praise your name, Lord. We just ask that your peace would fill us today and in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.